we're doing life's toughest questions, and the question today is, can you believe in science and still have faith? Can you believe in science and still have faith? All right, so Dave is um, going to introduce himself and uh, tell you a little bit about himself, and then I'm going to share a little bit about what we're going to cover today, and then we're just going to interview him. So we're doing a little bit of a different style. If this is your first week here, we don't always interview people. Normally, I talk or someone else talks for about 25 minutes. But um, let's face it, I'm not smart enough to answer this question, and so we had to import some smartness, all right? So Dave, just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Is it on? Is it on? Um, depends if you turned it on. I'm not smart enough to turn on a mic. There you go. I actually did that on purpose. <laughs> okay. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, my name's Dave Martin, and I am a professor at the University of Delaware, and I am in material science and engineering and biomedical engineering. And I've been here now nine years. We moved from Michigan in uh, 2009. I was a professor at the University of Michigan for almost 20 years. And the work that I do in my lab is kind of at the interface between chemistry, physics, biology, and biomedical engineering. So we develop new materials that are electrically and ionically active at the same time, but made of organics. So they're polymers or plastics, if you like, but they're electrically and ionically active, and they help to interface a whole wide variety of different types of biomedical devices, like artificial ears, eyes, uh, prosthetic devices. So we're working right at the interface between natural science and engineering and a lot of it is for helping to improve quality of life for people who can't see or can't hear. Um, so literally helping the blind to see, helping the, the deaf to hear and things like that. And so, you know, I've had a lot of uh, things that I've been involved with over the years. But let me start by saying there's a lot of accolades of man. And uh, let me give all of the honor to, you know, the Holy Spirit and Jesus that lives within me for giving me the tools that have been able to allow me to do the kinds of things uh, throughout my life. And uh, it's really because of him working through me, not because of anything that I really did. Yeah. Awesome. So, Thank you. Anyway. Um, so this, this whole can you believe in science and still have faith thing, I really want to tackle this. And, you know, like the first week we, we tried to tackle what the meaning of life was. And obviously we, didn't, we couldn't cover everything in 25 minutes. So same with this. This is, this is hopefully just going to um, maybe give you some food for thought, and all of these discussions are discussions we should be continuing to have. Um, what I'd like to say to kick it off is that um, I think that sometimes we create a false uh, dichotomy or a false alternative that you either have to believe in science or faith, and that they can't somehow be joined together. And what a lot of people in the faith world, and the world that I operate in, kind of our attitude towards, uh, towards faith and science is we tend to see science as threatening to faith. And so um, you get stuck in these decisions then where you have undeniable science facing your like unprovable faith. And when you put yourself in those either or um, positions, you end up having, if you're going to be a conscientious thinker, having to choose science over faith or becoming a Christian who would say, stop thinking and just believe. 
And I think that both of those are dangerous, right? I don't think that God is afraid of science, and I don't think that he would say to follow him, you should stop thinking. And we talked a little bit the first week of this series about how God created us in his image, and God is a thinking, creative, logical God, and so if we believe we're made in his image, then we are thinking, creative, and logical beings, and we should use our minds and use our brains. And so how do science and faith intersect? So I'm going to give you just a little bit of... Uh, a Bible up front, and then we're going to talk some philosophy and science with Dave. Um, so, God or science is a false alternative, all right? Now, listen to this. this. is a King David. Some of you have heard of King David. If it's your first time in church today, maybe you've never heard of him, but he was uh, the most famous king of Israel and wrote, um, wrote a book that we, is in the Old Testament of our Bible, which is called Psalms, and it's a lot of poetry, okay? But there's some real truths contained in there, and what he says is this. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, you can see this is poetry, right? Um, Which you have set in place. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth? What I would point out here is, first off, David is considering the work of God. He is thinking about science. He is figuring out how things work. Isn't that what science is? Studying the how, the what, and the where of how things and what things are and where they work. Um, the why is a lot of what faith and philosophy deal with. But he's not saying here, thanks, just get fully dressed there. I appreciate that. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you're good. <laughs> His wife's not home right now. She's gone for the weekend. So clearly, you know, yeah. Bachelor. <laughs> I had to dress myself Yeah, today. you're lucky you even had a shirt on <laughs> yeah, when you got absolutely. here. <laughs> so David is saying, listen, this would be my summary of this. As I study, I appreciate God more. Science informs my faith. Now listen, if I took, I don't actually have my phone on me, but if I had my phone and I looked at this phone, there's so much I don't understand about this phone, right? I don't know how this thing does all this stuff, but let's say I really learned it all, and I learned how they made the glass, and I learned how they made the computer parts, and I learned how they all worked, and I learned everything there was to learn, and I I could build one from scratch. Let's say I got there. Would I then conclude that there was no maker of the iPhone? Once I discovered all there was to discover, would I be like, well, no one made it. Clearly, it just happened. No. I would appreciate the maker even more. And that's the point. When I consider your works, God, I appreciate you more. When I understand the biology and the chemistry and the physics and things, when I'm just pretending, I don't understand any of that. But if I understood all that, it would lead me to say, how majestic is your name, God? So can science and faith coexist? Can science, science build our faith? I think science should build our faith. See, what, what David says here in another psalm is that the heavens declare the glory of God The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. See, I think, and there's a, I would have, I had a whole lot of verses, but I want Dave to get a turn here. Um, It's David talking. Oh, I didn't even do that on purpose. Dave, David, get it? All right. No, just you and I thought that was funny, which is clear. We were cracking up on the phone this week, so we were like, I hope it goes this well live. Um, Apparently not. No. (laughs) Well, I haven't let you talk yet, so. But uh, um, 
David's son Solomon writes in another place that it's the glory of God to, to keep something secret and it's the glory of a king to reveal it. See, we're called to seek out and to learn and it will lead us to believe because all that God has made is declaring truth about him. Okay, I'm done. So I don't get applause? What the heck? He got applause. Jeez, we've been together for like six months. Okay. All right, so I've got some questions here for you that we got from some people in our audience. Um, so I'd like to know personally, we'll start personal, then we'll get scientific. Um, what is your greatest weakness? No, I'm kidding. Um, how does, how does your understanding of science, cause you clearly understand it more than me, how does it do what we were just talking about? How does it inform your faith? Well, to me, when we are involved in looking at things, uh, the most perhaps a way I can describe it is that we have opportunities to see things that have never been seen before. And so I'm kind of an expensive toy guy, and I like to buy microscopes that uh, the most recent one we bought was about three and a half million dollars. We're looking at, <laughs> we're looking at uh, 15 to 20 million for the next one. So um, I'm, I like to, I'm, you know, it's like a kid, and you always got to have the best one to do. But it's like also, I like to describe it as just like doing auto body work. Those of you who are mechanics know that you need the right tool for the job. And unfortunately, we're in a situation, or fortunately for those of us who like to play with them, we're in a situation where the state-of-the-art instrumentation requires not just very expensive instruments, but also expensive buildings even to put them in so that they're controlled properly. Um, the thing that's amazing to me is when you see something that's never been seen before. So I'll give you a recent example from my lab. Uh, we have a molecule that uh, we actually made and have the patent on. And a student of mine was looking in one of our small optical microscopes, which are relatively common. You see them all the time. We saw these beautiful structures. We had some idea about what was going on. We then went to this electron microscope and saw all kinds of additional information using the capabilities that was there. We still didn't have the detailed picture. Then we went to this other instrument, an X-ray instrument. It's over in the chemistry building. And we finally got the detailed structure of how these molecules are arranged in the solid. These molecules have a left-handed and a right-handed example. They come together in pairs. And the left is always connected to a right. And they hop back and forth in order to make a just amazingly symmetric crystal at the molecular scale. And we can now look at that crystal and turn it around and look at it. And it's just got all this beauty and organization and order that... Uh, was never known to humanity, you know, until earlier this year when the student uh, brought that in. And so it's this kind of stuff that you're just like, when you see all the different ways in which things are there and then there's this mystery and you're looking really at what is the frontier of knowledge and you're looking out across into the dark space where no one's ever been before and then there's this light that comes on and you see all this... I mean, in this case, literally crystalline organization of atoms and molecules trying to figure out where they're supposed to go. And then the solution, which to us was very muddled and unclear, is just all of a sudden just amazing. To me, that's just an, the, the most technical, perhaps, example mm -hmm. of the fascination and the reward that comes from uh, sitting near this boundary and, and, and having... But really, God reveals something that mm -hmm. clearly he knew of and knew about and right. knows and 
just to get a little taste of that. Well, so. Speaking of the frontier, kind of like the edge of our the edge of our knowledge, right? You were saying we were talking about how there's so much that we don't know. There's more that we don't know than that we do know, right? Yeah, I mean, one one example for this, if you look at the current understanding of what the physicists call the standard model of the universe, um, they try to explain the way the galaxies move around and the way light is emitted, and they can only account for 95, for, they can only account for 5% of everything that exists, matter plus energy. And so 95% of our understanding of what's in the universe, even in this enlightened day and age, is still something that's called dark matter and dark energy, which are just phrases for we don't really understand what's going on on the matter side or on the energy side. But we have to assume that these things exist if we're to trust these theories uh, like Einstein's relativity theory that has explained so many other things. And so if you believe those theories, if you have faith in the science, Mm -hmm. then you have to come up with this stuff in order to make it all self-consistent. So we still have a long way to go before we really understand things. But that's not to say that there aren't areas where we understand things, I think, pretty reasonably well. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of fine-tuning it and getting additional understanding that helps explain things even better than we can already. So, you know, I'm going to just press on this a little bit more, then we'll switch gears. But so some people, you know, would say that science keeps them from faith. Somehow along the line, they were in school, and there was something that they learned that makes them disbelieve the Bible, or there's stuff in the Bible that they feel is a discrepancy with science. Like, you know, if I sat down with you and I was like, help me out, what would you say? Well, I think you have to recognize the things you read in the Bible were written for people at a particular time, and they were written in a particular way using language that existed at the time. And, for example, there's no map of the United States in the Bible. There's no periodic table in the Bible. There's no name your favorite thing that we think is pretty, uh, you know, accepted today. When those things were written, the people who it was written for and written to weren't in a position to understand the Schrodinger equation, for example. So, you know, yeah, you could know, write down, you know, yeah, eigenvalues yeah. and everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people just weren't ready for that. I have a tattoo of that, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know people who do, actually. Do you really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's called putting the idol before the... <laughs> yeah, the, the equation. Well, anyway, so um, it, 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 I think that you have to be able to distinguish between what's written for you from a faith point of view and how it's written in terms of from a very naturalistic and science is not ever going to explain the things of the spirit and the heart Mm -hmm. in a way that I think is ever I don't know perhaps someday science will but we're nowhere near that at the moment for for science being able to help you on that I think it's much more deep and Mm -hmm. intuitive uh, understanding of how the spirit works inside you I do feel like there is some science, and this is not what we talked about at all, so um, watch out. Uh, like, I've, I've listened to some podcasts that talk about, you know, it seems to me that they're trying to explain even, even prayer and the senses that we might have of God's presence or the sense of God's peace, and explain everything physiologically, everything with, you know, biology, with an argument towards us just being animals and not being, you know, having God's breath in us and being eternal, um, what say you? 
<laughs> oh, I'd say go for it. I mean, if you can make progress, I don't see any reasons why science should ignore mm-hmm. anything. And if that's something that science can help us out on, then that's fine with me. I mean, I also, I know there are books that talk about, uh, for example, uh, scholars have looked at all the words that are in the Bible that are accredited to Jesus. And there are people who uh, vary in their opinion about whether or not this particular word is the most reliably associated with what it was that Jesus actually said when he was here. And so there are things that you can read that talk about, you know, where did all that come from? How were they transcribed? What are the relationship between the synoptic gospels and other gospels that are written that aren't even in the text? And so I think it's fine to use your intellect and to explore and consider those kinds of things. I personally feel like, you know, whatever you want to try and explain using science, no problem. You know, I don't know why you should say it's off limits. You know, I mean, that to me sounds like, well, if I'm going to make it off limits, then I am paranoid about somebody somehow proving it's wrong or something like that. So I have no fear that that's going to happen. So go on. Maybe they'll help us learn something. Maybe I don't think it's going to explain everything, but yeah, I think that's the fear though. I mean, I think so we might be, we'll be talking to two different crowds. And if you're, if you're here and you're like me and you were raised in the church and you know, I went to a Christian school too. So like my education was from a Christian point of view as well. Um, there is a fear in Christian education, I think, and in, in faith. I mean, I won't put that on everybody, but at least in myself, there was, there's kind of a fear that there, you know, there are some things that you don't want to learn too much about because you're afraid you might learn something that you shouldn't learn and then you might not be able to believe. And so I don't know if anyone else ever struggles with that. And then I think you've got the other side, which maybe you weren't raised in the church or raised in Christianity and, um, and you see science at, you, you see faith as kind of silly because of some of the things faith people say that just fly in the face of things that science knows. And so I'd love to tackle or somehow just like shift both of those a little bit. Like, so back to the Christian side, if, if we can learn, like I think an analogy I've heard used is like uh, when you know there's some, there might be something under the rock, you just don't look under the rock. And, and that's like one way to have faith. It's just, I'm just going to believe. But like God is, I believe, big enough and strong enough and explainable enough. Like, I don't think he's afraid of us learning. And so there's nothing wrong with us looking under the rocks and trying to figure this out. Who knows? I mean, we don't know 95% of what's happening in the physical world. What do we think we know about God? I mean, seriously, like there's so much to discover still about God. And so I, I would encourage the Christians in the room, and myself included, to to have kind of a more open understanding about what we would look at and understand. Because I think it's all going to lead us back to God anyway. And then um, I think, did you, were you going to say something? Well, I, I just wanted to clarify. Uh, what I tried to say is that 95% of what's in the universe is not well known. But those things that we can see, we are reasonably comfortable with what's okay. going on and how it works. So um, I'm just trying to... Make it a little bit more clear. What okay. I, I'm what trying I really hard not fine. to sound stupid up here. Uh, no, you, you're not. You don't sound stupid. At I really all. should I'm have just, had my dad do this, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, and well, I think we for, know where he got his education, so that's. Well, that. I just I was trying not to go there. Yeah, yeah I couldn't resist. <laughs> that's why I couldn't let him on stage. <laughs> I again. know. I almost didn't let him come to church today. <laughs> yeah, that that would have been better. <laughs> should we Sorry. let people in on that? Uh, it, I guess so. Okay. What college did you go to? University of Michigan. 
Okay. My dad graduated from Ohio from State. From the Ohio State. The. Does that bother you when everybody does that? It's the most idiotic thing ever. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> the Ohio State University? I mean, who, who needs a the? I mean, come on. And all these guys, they walk up front, hi, Mom, I went to the Ohio State. Come on. Let the the go, dude. But no, it doesn't bother me at all. I can tell. Okay. Sorry, um, you got to be from the Midwest to understand all this. I mean, it's, it's very different out there. <laughs> I, I got it. I know where we're going still. Um, so the point I was going to make for those who have not been raised in the church is... I do think that some Christians, in the way that they talk about science and talk about faith, do come across as, I mean, it's just offensive to your intellect. Is that a good way to say it? Like, I think, I think that it's sad that it's been done that way. I mean, I know when I went to college, I sat in class with people, and I would, see, I would listen to Christians in my philosophy classes say things that made me cringe because they just made Christians look... Um, uneducated or, or scared of the truth or scared of discovery. And I just, I, I have personally more confidence in God and who he is and more humility in what I know and don't know that we can, as Christians, explore. And so anyway, did that make any sense at all? Maybe, maybe not. You don't, you don't have to just say yes and then we can move on. Um, so one of the things that I think that is, that we stubble, struggle with is, is the whole creation versus evolution thing. And, you know, so we got five minutes here. Um, Dave and I are going to solve that for you. All right. Um, no, but I'd like, I do want to hear your take on this. And, um, you know, I, I think in this room, there could be people all over the spectrum on this. So just, you know, try your best not to be offended by what Dave says. Well, <laughs> <laughs> first of all, let me start by saying that um, even within the scientific community, there are people who have different opinions on this. I have a gentleman from Korea who works in my lab right now. He's very uh, much of what you would call a creation scientist. And he's, you know, convinced that things happened very quickly over a short period of time. My own personal opinion, and it's my personal opinion, is that the evidence on the biology side and on the, uh, the way in which the world works is so overwhelming that it makes people who disagree with all of that in particular, people who argue about the age of the earth or the age of the universe. I mean, the people who are out there studying these things are not out there trying to make a narrative that on purpose is disruptive to Christianity or any other religion. They're just Mm -hmm. looking at the data, analyzing what happens, and coming up with things, and using techniques that are very well accepted in the community. So... um, the understanding is that the Earth is about 4 billion years old, the solar system as well. The universe itself is around about 13 billion years old. And the numbers continue to vary a bit as the data comes in, but no one's arguing about whether it's... I mean, the arguments are between 14 and 12 and things like that. It's not like people think, you know, that it happened. And, and my own personal opinion is that if that's the way God wants to do it, then that's up to God. And so, you know, you then have to say, well, if you're going to believe that it happens like that, then how do you interpret things? Mm -hmm. And again, I get back to the point of this was a a way of describing it to people that could resonate with them at the time. And that made sense using the language and the words and the constructs Mm -hmm. that were able to be understood 
thousands of years ago when the ability to describe you know, orbits and things like that. And to me, you can go back in the history of the church and look at people who looked at the data and came up with, for example, Galileo and decided that the solar system was heliocentric instead of geocentric, and uh, meaning that the planets revolve around the sun instead of the sun around the earth. And when he proposed that, there was this big uproar because the community at the time was convinced the earth was still... The sun moved around the earth, and you could read that right in the Bible, and therefore it had to be correct. Mm -hmm. And we don't think like that too much. Maybe there still are some people. There are flat earth people. And one guy in California just shot himself 2,000 feet up in the air because he was looking for the edge of the earth. So there are people out there that think the earth is flat. I don't know how you explain solar eclipses and things like that because every once in a while... The coin should be edge on. It should be a slit instead of a ball. But it, l- <laughs> let me say, um, if you assert that things had to happen this way over six 24-hour periods, mm-hmm. in my opinion, you're sounding very close to the flat earth mm-hmm. people. And, and so in so, case you're unfamiliar, you, know, you, you, may, you may have just came in here because um, we love to invite people to City Light um, and we pride ourselves on being a, a church that welcomes people who are unchurched or never gone to church before. So you might not know, but in, in what we call the Bible today, which that's a whole other lesson that we can talk about some other day, but in the beginning, it says that God created the earth in six days, roughly. There's a whole lot more words there. But, um, and so how do you interpret that? And this, is, this has been a, a sticking point for some people that has kept them from God. In my opinion, evolution, creation, especially how did the earth start, has, is, has been like a, a closed door for people. And what I want to just remind everybody is that, and what we say here a lot, is that we start with Jesus. So we're not, we're not hanging our hat on whether it was six days or 15 billion. We're hanging our hat on whether Jesus raised from the dead or not. That's, the, that's really the center, okay? And so everything starts there. So I'm going to say something that may also be offensive to you, but we don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead because the Bible says so. We believe the Bible because Jesus rose from the dead, right? And so I know that's maybe like twisting your brain a little bit, like if Jesus never rose from the dead, we would not have the Bible, I mean, Jesus was a great uh, leader, a great teacher. It was exciting. But then all of a sudden, he was dead, and all of his followers were done. It would not have happened if he did not raise from the dead. And then they knew, they knew that they knew that they knew that he was God. And now you've got a problem that you have to deal with. And then everything else comes from there. And so there are things that I, that I would call, like, there's, there's, there's core beliefs that we really need to wrap our heads around. Then there's, you know, extraneous stuff that, like, there, there is some discrepancy, but what, one of the things I loved about what you said that I wanted to give, I want to give permission to people to be followers of Jesus and not believe in the six-day creation. I want to give permission to people to be followers of Jesus and still believe in evolution or evolutionary principles. You're a follower of Jesus. I believe I am. Okay. And you believe in evolutionary principles. I believe that is the way it's it, like, you know, in science, there's really no 100%. It's not ever absolute, but it's pretty close. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I, I, haven't, I have yet to see a better explanation that explains things to me. Mm-hmm. I'll put it that way. So you can decide for yourself where you fit on that spectrum. But I'll, I can say with fairly 
certain terms that within the scientific community there's not a lot of discussion about the details of what I just mentioned in terms of the time. So, yeah. so and I don't think these people are making it up. Right. Right. Well, what's the point of that? I mean, the way it works today is if somebody comes up with a better way of explaining it, they put it out there and it gets shot at. The bad theories die. The good ones win. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people out there trying to look at different aspects of it. So the things that fit the test of time. Now, there are transformative things that change, you Mm -hmm. know, and it could be 50 years from now it'll transform and there will be some kind of. I don't know, different way of looking at it that's better. I, I just don't personally see it changing a whole lot from our current understanding along those lines. Yeah. So if, you, if you're unchurched or didn't grow up in the church, I think I'm hoping that gives you some hope and some, some permission to explore Jesus. And if you are churched or raised in the church, I'll tell you what, um, this conversation would have been hard for me 10 years ago. And, and it's still like, it still tweaks something inside of me that was raised in a Christian home and a Christian school. And, and you know, it's six days to six days. Um, and so I just, I, I want to let you know that I have compassion for that whole thing. And, and I think, again, there's got, there's room for what we're trying to do here for people to be on all, all those spectrums. Um, you know, to be young earth believers that, that it happened in six days. But I also think for something that was helpful for me was, personally, can I, because what I would have to do, to be honest with you, is I would have to just ignore what Dave was saying and just say, somehow the scientific community is wrong, and I can't explain it, but they're all wrong because the Bible tells me so. And that put me, see, that's where I was talking about undeniable faith versus unprovable, sorry, undeniable science versus unprovable faith, right? It puts you in a really tough spot. And so, um, I think that there's area for growth. And we don't have time for it, but I could also show you from the text how there's room for the 15 billion years. I mean, just one quick point is that there's no sun created for the first four or five days. So like right there, what's happening all those days? It's the same word as era or epoch. Um, I mean, just to give you one little glimpse, but we could talk more about that. But I wanted to make sure we have... uh, very little time left. Was there anything else that you were like really excited to talk about or any questions that you were hoping we would have covered? Uh, well, looking, I, I, <laughs> he's looking at this list of 20 questions. <laughs> I just want to say from my own personal experience that um, faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit is the way in which you can uh, live your life without fear and without concern, and you know, in everybody's job, I'm very. I've got a very stressful thing. I got a lot of expectations of what I've got to do, but in anything I've tried to do ever, it's always the best when you sit back and l- let Jesus take the wheel. Essentially, if you want to use the old Carrie Underwood song, could you sing that for us real quick? No. <laughs> uh, so it's really hard to live this life, I think, when you're trying to drive all the time. Mm. And it's so much easier just to put yourself in his hands and let him do what needs to be done and listen. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to what it is. Pray. Because I feel like you know there's just so much to get from just asking and being honest um, and getting things out there and you know, science is wonderful. I'm obviously a partisan and a participant. But, you know, it's when things 
the, uh, the biggest questions of all, how do I interact with my fellow man? What makes a consistent set of morality? How do I help to raise young children? I mean, for me, one of the transformative things was when my wife and I were married and started having children. I mean, when you're young, you're very centered on self. You're self-centered. Um, and as you get older and you realize you're in a place of responsibility for helping to forge you know, you, you want to put them in a situation where you can provide them with a level of understanding that goes beyond anything you can read in any textbook, mm-hmm. whatever. So that's yeah. why my own personal experience is so based on being guided by an understanding of the Lord and an understanding of a bigger thing that goes beyond yourself. Yeah. You know? So, so Thank that's you. my two bits. That's really good. Let's give Dave a hand. Thank you so much. You're released. <laughs> we'll have to do this again. That was fun. 25 minutes is definitely not long enough to solve that question of no. faith and science. <laughs> um, so real quick, the take-home. I like take-homes. I like to make sure we know what we're talking about. So the two take-homes for me that I'm hoping maybe you caught today was one, that science can build your faith, not destroy it. And two, you don't have to check your mind at the door to be a follower of Jesus. And I really think that that's been taught in a lot of places. And I just want to encourage you, that is not what we're, what we're practicing or preaching here. So um, we're going to do our response song. And I'd like you, during the response, to just really try to understand biology and physics. Just really, no, I'm kidding. Um, what we're, what we're going to do during this response song, you're welcome to stand and sing with us. Um, we're going to have some people on the wall over there that would love to pray with you. We offer prayer every week because... We believe that there is something really special that happens when we allow someone else to join us on our journey of faith. And so it's very non-threatening. All you do is go introduce yourself, say, hey, there's this thing going on at my job or in my life. Could you pray with me? And they pray with you, and it's over, and it's, you know, and it's a place for God to interact with. So let's have a couple of our prayer people head on over there, and um, let's stand together, and, and we'll, we'll sing this last song.